0: If you're new with us, my name is Jacob Warren. I serve as the lead pastor here at Veritas Church, and this is my friend Darius. Um, he is from Point Church up in Cameron. Yeah, you we can we can applaud that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, at the beginning of Philippians, Paul writes this, these words to the church at Philippi. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. Um, the, wh- the reason why Darius is standing on the stage right now is because of the partnership that both our church and Point Church has in the gospel. Um, it's a church... Uh, That is a church plant uh, planted by Barry Jones up there in the Cameron area, Spring Lake area, uh, church plant. How old is Point Church now? Two years in September. Two years in September. Incredible. Praise God for that, man. Yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, privileged to know Barry. Uh, Barry actually sat right over there uh, for a number of years before planting Point Church here in Fayetteville, just getting his boots on the ground here in Fayetteville. We've been able to share coffee, share uh, church kind of uh, stories together of of what we've seen God do in ministry alongside of one another. And um, I'm just really grateful that we get to partner together with another church and do a pulpit swap like this. So Ryan told you last week uh, that Darius would be coming here, but then also Ryan is over at... Point Church, bringing the word there this morning, telling them all about Jesus and then the good news about Bojangles, I'm sure. So, uh, can we once again just celebrate the partnership between churches and what Jesus is doing in Fable?
1: Thank you, brother. You got me? All right. Well, let's jump in and let's pray. Father, please let your spirit. Speak in me that those that hear my voice actually hear your voice. I have no merit. So I ask that the merit of Jesus stand for me. Lord, I am undeserving. We are undeserving, and we are depending on your mercy. We are full of imperfection and wantonness and sin, and you are full of grace. We confess that we are sinners that frequently sin, and at times it's willful sin. All of our effort and body and soul are defiled. Lord, we are polluted with sin. There are places in our hearts that are filled with foul images. When we search our heart, we see that we are plagued with a dangerous imagination. I'm asking, Lord, that today you would enter into our innermost where these secrets lie. For we are utterly ashamed that we are what we are inside. We have no vibrancy, no thriving, and no fruit. Nothing but thorns and thistles. We are fading like the leaves on the on a tree in a fall and the wind just blows it away. Please revive our soul with your word and your spirit. I plead with you. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to go into the book of Philippians. If you are not uh, familiar with the Bible, that's okay. We're going to help you with that today. Um, The book of Philippians, or the letter of Philippians, uh, is just to the right of the Gospels by a couple of books. You can find it there, and it's a letter that Paul writes to Philippi. And as he writes that letter, he writes it for a purpose to encourage the people of Philippi. I don't personally believe that you need um, much more than the Spirit of God to help you to understand the Word. So I want you to understand the kind of preacher that I am. I am Socratically prophetic. Socratic in meaning that I like to ask questions of the Bible and of you. And I like for God to give me an answer, and sometimes I'd like for you to give me an answer. I'm charismatic at times, meaning that I can get a little excited, so much so that somebody decided that I needed a sweat towel. It says, Pastor Darius, sweating for Jesus. So if I get a little, little hot under the collar, it means that I'm getting after it. Don't say stop, just say amen, hallelujah, and keep going. Bucky, your seatbelts, we're about to get into it. Prophetic not meaning I'm going to tell you about the future. Prophetic meaning I'm going to tell you the truth. And I think it's appropriate for where we are today. If we're in the Veritas church, then I should tell you the truth. So I'm going to set up this passage. While you're turning there, we're going to be in chapter 2. The central theme that derives from the passage of this letter is this. The goal of history points to the expectation of a deliverer. He is Lord and is of supreme worth in our lives to whom we should embrace him as Savior through faith that we might experience joyful peace in our soul. This embrace will lead us to fearless be-, be fearless before the adversary and humbly loving toward our fellow man, ultimately allowing us to pursue a deep, unified church that will provide a sign of salvation to the outside, onlooking world. And these things we will accomplish through His Spirit and for God's glory. Therefore, I drew out of this text the word champion. When I mean champion, I'm not talking about winner. What I'm talking about is that you will support and defend the cause of Christ. For, because you are belonging to Christ and Christ because he is the promised redeemer. So when you think about the title, I want you to understand I am hoping that through the word of God you will support, you will defend, not your position, but him. I have an illustration to help you understand why I want you to be a champion for Christ. Now, Originally, when I created this uh, slide deck, what ended up happening is I was hoping that you would get to see a video, but I'm going to have to describe it, and that's okay. I, again, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at doing that, so I, I'm going to help you, but I'm going to put a picture on there, and I want to describe what's happening, and then I'm going to tell you what happened in this scene. The movie is Instinct, starring Cuba Gooden Jr. and Anthony Hopkins. I am not promoting the movie. I am just giving you the context for this particular scene. In this movie, Anthony Hopkins is an anthropologist, a fame anthropologist, who has gone into the wild and went native. And in his uh, complete loss of his mind, he decided that he was going to go live with the gorillas. And in that time, he sheds off his humanity but what he doesn't realize is that as he's doing that, he's leading the poachers directly to the troop. When the, the poachers find them, they decide to take the, the main gorilla captive. But in the process of that, he tries to fight back, dies, and Anthony Hopkins realizes what he's done and is broken. They capture him, they bring him back, And then in this particular scene, Cuba Jr. is like the the up-and-coming psychologist, psychiatrist that wants to make a name for himself and goes and meets with him. And as he's meeting with him, he finally breaks through and they're talking. And in this particular scene, they're going to the zoo where the gorilla's incarcerated. And he pulls the pen out and he opens the gate. And of course, you could imagine whom Gooden Jr. is like. Hey, man, what are you doing? You need to close the door. And and Hopkins looks at him. He goes, "You see a gorilla in there, but that gorilla is broken. There is nothing but hide in there now. Just across." From where they are is a fence, and just beyond that is a forest and is freedom. He knows it, but he is so bound up in his shame, he will never leave this place. Brothers and sisters, I feel as though many of you are like you are so bound up in your sin or your shame or your fear that you're unwilling to come out and become the very thing of God and God has called you to be a champion and you're living in fear. You're allowing the world, your flesh, the enemy, tell you who you are and yet God has said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We love the verse, but we don't live it out. I'm calling you out of your comfort and into the life in which God called you. In order to do that, let's read the text. We're going to start in verse 9, pick up where a man left off. I, I do have my Bible up here. It is different versions, reading from up there so that you can follow along. So verse 9, it says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I mean, he received the glory. Verse, it says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That means we are physically going to worship God we're going to verbally say it, we're going to verbally sing, but we're going to physically move to a place where we recognize him as Lord and Savior. And then it goes on and says, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Are we living in a crooked, twisted generation? Among whom you shine... I must be bringing the thunder already. Let me just check. You want me to do this one? All right, Fred, here we come. I'll turn this on. You got it already? Look at you. You're all over it. One, two, okay. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word. Listen. I'm going to get into that in a minute, but holding fast, that means I'm going to hold on to it like it. my life depends on it. So that in the day of Christ, that when Christ returns, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, we, all, we always say this, the martyrs, right? The blood of the martyrs are the seedbed of the church. We celebrate them, but none of us want to be one. As a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I have three points. What I want to do here is to extrapolate what God intended through Paul for us today, that we should live as champions for Christ. In order to be a champion, the first thing we have to do is obey. Let me say that again, obey. It is a small word, but it has great ramifications. Without obedience, we are incapable of actually supporting and defending what God intended through the sacrifice of Christ. And the only way you can obey, number one, is through knowing God's word. You cannot hold fast to God's word if you don't know it. You cannot defend if you don't know God's word. And you will stay bound up if you don't know what God promises you. So you have to know the word in order to obey. Not only this, in order to to literally obey, in order to do that, you have to do it without complaining and you have to do it without slander. When he says this in verse 14, he says, do not grumble and argue or or do not murmur. He's talking about the fact that many of us, we will hear God's word and go, "Mm, I don't know if that's for me. We will take parts of the word, but not the whole corpus and be like, you know what? God didn't intend for that to be correct. But God's word is true from the beginning to the end. There is nothing that you can take out of the word and go, you know what? That's not true. That wasn't intended for me and you today. It was intended for the church a long time ago. There's nothing in the word that you can go, mm, that doesn't fit. You can't read the Old Testament and go, you know what, Christ wasn't involved then so you don't have to pay attention to that. Everything from the beginning to the end points to Christ. The Old Testament tells us that we are in desperate need of salvation. We know this because the people of God who, gave the, who God gave the word to were so broken that they repeatedly sinned and God repeatedly had to do some work on them. And even though they knew the word of God, they were so broken, they continued to fail. And God says, you need a Christ. So apart from the Old Testament, you can't see that Jesus was in the beginning, in the middle, and continues to work until the end. You got to know the whole corpus. And you can't be the type of person that grumbles and complains about what God says. You need to ask the Lord. If you don't understand, you need to ask him, Lord, I don't get this. I can't obey something I don't understand. You should stay there until you get it because he's trying to draw something out of you so that you can respond. I don't know how many times I've told my kids something repetitively. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Do And they look at me and they go, Dad, are are you having a problem, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I'm okay, but you're not going to be if you keep this up. And it's not because of me, it's because what's going to happen to you, you're not gonna like. The thing is, is that when we obey, we tend to obey only when someone is looking and God's like, in my absence, devoid of other people being around, you should obey. Why should you obey? Because when you obey, it requires learning how to withstand the enemy so that the demands of the flesh, the world and the demonic cannot dissuade you from meeting the demands of the spirit. This is why Joshua said, choose this day whom you're going to serve. You cannot obey If you truly do not understand that it is in your private life that you must obey. Remember that God is calling you to be set apart, to be holy. So he can use you. You can't be a champion of Christ if you are living under the lordship of the world, or the flesh, or the demonic. You cannot do two things. You cannot have two masters. You must submit to the one or the other. And in your private life is where you start to change. And in that moment of your change, you are being separated from the old man to the new man so that God could use you to do something. You want to be a champion of Christ, you must obey. And you must be integral to that so much so that when you do, you rejoice like Peter rejoiced and said, man, I'm getting my butt whooped. They are lighting me up like a Christmas tree. It is hot like fish grease. The chains don't feel good. I'm hungry. I'm tired. Praise God that they saw fit to to, to do this to me so that I could be identified with Christ. Praise the Lord. We say woo now, but in the midst of our fasting, we're like, man, I need a Snickers bar, I'm getting hangry. We can't last five minutes on a fast, but we wanna be one of the champions for Christ. God is calling you out and saying, listen, you must obey, you must withstand, you must hold fast to the word of God. Otherwise, this isn't going to work. And it has to be in your private life as well as outside. And not only this, brothers and sisters, you need to celebrate. You need to hold on to it so much that when people look at you and they see Christ, they should be like, mm, whether it is to bring punishment because you are identified with them and therefore you are being chastised or to rejoice with you in fellowship. Either way, you should have joy in your life. And there's a reason why you should have joy because joy comes from doing what God says. It lifts up our countenance. Remember, that's what he said in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. He said, when you do right, does not your countenance get lifted up? Slow down just for a minute. Just let that sink in. When you do what is right, does not joy come into your heart, despite of who says it? You don't need anybody to confirm it. When you do what is right in the depth of your soul, it is well. We must obey. Number two, got to be humble. God's to be humble. Good grief, I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody and be like, well, you know what? I don't need to go to this class. You wanna know why? Because I've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah, but you're still sitting in the same seat you were when you first got saved. Nothing's changed. So something has to change and it's probably your pride. You're holding on to that thing like, oh my gosh, I'm good. I don't need to do anything else. Listen, your salvation is just the beginning of Christ not the terminal event it is supposed to be that you glorify him so if you're just getting saved this is the beginning humble yourself before a mighty and holy God that's gonna be like I'm gonna weigh your whole life what did you do with the gift that I gave you well you know God I was good I mean I was saved so I'm good right When I say humble, I want you to understand what I'm saying. It means to be humble, means to have an accurate estimation of your worth. Some of y'all need your hide canned. I'm going to say that in English. Some of y'all need to get a spiritual butt whooping. Because you think too highly of yourself. Somehow or another, you got it in your head that I'm special. When I say special, I'm not talking about, oh, my gosh, I should be on, you know, whatever show you like. That somehow or another, God is not going to apply the full wrath of God on you. I'm special. I'm good. Look at my life. That's one of my favorite things when somebody goes, look at me, bling, bling, I'm good. I'm like, look at you. That's weighing you down. You still in that cage and you don't even know it. In order for us to be humble, we need to put Jesus in headlights, not us. He says in verse nine that he would be the one that's magnified and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Not just Lord over some people. But all, those who confess that he is their savior or not, will bow and will say, Jesus is Lord. Despite how they feel, despite how they pray, despite their culture, despite the nation, but despite the tongue, every knee will bow and say that Jesus is Lord. So if that's the case, why is it that you don't see his lordship in your life and understand that it's not about you, it's about him. I could have said champions to Christ, but that would mean that somehow or another your worth was enough to do something on his behalf. And I said for Christ because it has to belong to him. It's for him, by him, through him, not you. You can't even obey without the Spirit of God telling you, hey, that is wrong. Jesus' name needs to be in headlights. And when he talks about the knees bowing and the tongue confessing, it is not that he was like, oh, you know what? I need this. He wanted you to see what true connection looked like. The reason why many of us are lonely is because of the esteem we have for ourselves, doesn't allow for us to truly listen to someone else and get connected with them so that we can minister to them and they can minister to us. And Jesus is the epitome of that. He said, listen to this. We go to verse five. I'm going to give you the Darius version going through verse eight. Christ says, adopt this attitude. Remove your man-made reputation developed by your worldly goals and your culture and your methods and adopt my nature. That while I was God in the beginning creating I didn't even go back and think that was something that I needed to grab hold of I made myself lower than the very thing that I created so that the thing that I created would know that I am Emmanuel and I am present and I am active and I'm willing to do whatever it needs to be done so that I can get connected to you I made myself lower than you in that when I did that, I made sure that I took on your sin. Matter of fact, I didn't just take on your sin. I took on all sin. And when they said, hey, that seat, the one you're sitting in Jesus, that's not the one you should sit in. You're holy, you're sanctified, you're good. Why are you sitting there? He says, because I will not lose not one of my children. And when he said this, he sat on the seat and he held on to it and said, I won't let go for you. I won't let go for you. I won't let go for you. I will not let go for any one of you because you can't do this in your power. I have to do it. I have to be the one that takes it on. Because without me, you are not going to have any ability to walk out of your jail cell. You will stay in your shame. You will stay in your sin. You will stay bounded until I get on the cross. Brothers and sisters, this is not some weak God. This is not some sissy God. This is not somebody that doesn't care. He humbled himself to the point that which he took on your shame. And you're staying in the jail cell. And you're accepting what the world has to say about you. Brothers and sisters, the truth of the word is this, you are free by faith through grace unto good works. Do you believe that? We must obey the word. We must be humble in order for us to be champions, of God. Last one, we must show honor. It's got to happen. If humility is knowing our self-worth, honor is knowing his worth. It's acknowledging publicly Christ's worth based upon the work that he did on our behalf prior to our submission, prior to our justification, prior to us being cleaned up in our sanctification Prior to us being glorified, Jesus died for you. It's not about you. It's about him. And not only is it about him, it's entirely about him. And your story is wrapped up in what he did. And people won't see you rightly until you recognize that and glorify him for what he's done. Revelations tells us that we don't overcome the devil. He overcomes the devil. And we overcome him by the testimony of what he did. By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony about what Jesus did. That's how we overcome the enemy. That's how we come out of the jail cell. That's how we come out of our sin. That's how we come out of our shame. That's how we become champions when we recognize who he is. And we see that he is the light of the world that takes away all of our sins by his sacrifice as the lamb. That's how we are made free. And we have to honor him. We honor him through confession. When you're singing, you're confessing the glory of God. We call that worship, but that's just a part of it. Worship is your lifestyle, not just the song. We honor him by joining in the work. And here's the thing that I want you to know. When you are able to join in the work, it is because several things have happened. The word has pierced your heart. You have been, you've been, you've been circumcised in your heart. And God has done something in you that's so Amazing that you humble yourself and it starts to bubble up and over into your life and you have to go tell people, hey, man, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you where I was. I was stuck in this jail and I thought freedom would never come. And Jesus came in and sup with me. He spent time with me. He let me know how much he thought of me. Everybody said prodigal son, but honestly, I think it's a prodigal father because he wasted it all on me. Just in hope that I would respond to the wonderful news about who he was. And I'll never forget the day when I stepped out of my jail cell. It was a glorious day. It was the first time when I was free. It was amazing. When I recognized that the Lord had the power to take away my shame, I was undone. Brothers and sisters, have you met my Lord? Have you met the Savior? Because if you did, man, your story wouldn't be something that you held in. Listen, I I watch y'all. I I, I pay attention to, to, to communities. I listen to what people are saying and talking about. Listen, when you came in here, you were talking about what you saw on Twitter, what you saw on Instagram, what you saw on Facebook. You were sharing it. Oh, my gosh, did you see? Did you see? Did you see? You can't hold it in. Have you met Jesus? If you have, do you know how amazing that story is? Do you realize it's been the number one bestseller since the beginning of time? There's been no greater story. There's no top story that's ever overtopped Jesus ever. In order to understand Honor, I want you to understand two things. First, honor has to do with glory. That means the prestige, the renown, the recognition is put in the right place. Number two, and still about honor, it is to be glorified. Glorified means that the sun shines on creation and it radiates back what God has done. I am not the glory of the Lord, but I'm glorified in the Lord. And if I'm glorified in the Lord, I will respond with who he is because he has done something in me and it will shine back. The son has done a great thing, and I must respond. So, to live missionally in application means that you need to know the truth. We have to know the truth so that we can hold fast to the word, as verse 16. Otherwise, we do not know the person of Christ and we don't know what he wants us to do, and we can't be spurred by the Spirit of God to live different. We must know the truth. We must know the truth so that we can obey it and so we can live it, so that we can walk it out. It is impossible without knowing who Jesus is. And Jesus is the word. We must be humble. When exposed to the truth of who God is, we must respond with, Lord, I am so sorry that I thought somehow I could figure this out in my own ability. It's the name that every believer derives their name from. We're called Christian for a reason because our name is derived from him. We are Christ's light, so we humble ourselves and trust that God would do his work in us as he did in Christ. Not that we are Christ, but that we are Christian like him, glorified. And we make God famous. We radiate his glory and make his great name manifest throughout the world. At the end of the movie, Cuban Good Jr. was talking to my man, Anthony. And he had to say goodbye because my man, the cheese just slid off the cracker and he went cuckoo and he was done. And so he had to go back and realize that he wasn't going to be able to fix this guy and had to go say goodbye. And when he confessed, he said something that I thought, hmm, That is so true. He told Anthony, he says, man, I'm finding it hard to say goodbye because you taught me how to live. And I thought, what a travesty. The person with the truth found out how to live by the person who's bound up. Brothers and sisters, you should not be bound up. You should be free. Don't let the world tell you who you are. Christ does that. The Spirit of God leads you to live differently, otherworldly, set apart, so that when you speak, the authority of God is the one that's speaking. That the enemy doesn't tell you how to live. The world doesn't tell you how to live. Your flesh doesn't tell you how to live. God tells you how to live. And when we live, we live knowing that our brokenness was taken care of. on the cross. My hope is that you would respond, not to me, not to Veritas Church, but to Christ, in word and in deed. Would you pray with me? Lord, Would you please have mercy on us? You have struck a heavy blow at our pride, at the false God of self and we lie in pieces before you. But you showed us another master and Lord, your son, Jesus Christ, the promised savior of the world. And now our heart is turned toward holiness. Our life speeds as an arrow for bow for both toward complete obedience. Help us in our, all of our activity to put down sin and to humble pride. Save us from the love of the world and the pride of life and from everything that is unnatural of fallen men. Let Christ's nature be seen in us day by day. Grant us grace to live according to your will and rejoice in it. Knowing you will fashion us and sanctify us for this new work. We want to be separated from the old rock where we have been embedded so long. We want to step out of the jail and into freedom. So I ask, Lord, would you free us? Would you build us so that we can be champions
0: for Christ? Amen.